Hi, my name is Zhulan Fan. I'm an Americas Professor of Mathematics at Purdue University, and I'm currently a Program Director in the Mathematical Biology Program in the National Science Foundation. Hi, I'm Stacy Finley. I'm an Associate Professor of Biomedical Engineering at the University of Southern California. And my name is Palme Bahia. I'm a neuroscientist, a communicator, and your host for Biology in Numbers. This is a podcast by the Society for Mathematical Biology, also known as SMB. So, how are you both doing today? I'm doing well, thank you. Yeah, I'm doing good, thanks. I am glad to hear it. So, we'd like to start our episode with a little challenge for the both of you. Uh, so far, we've only asked Matt Simpson to do this, but can you sum up your research in 60 seconds or less? So, let's start with Stacy. Sure. So my lab is looking at developing mathematical models of networks inside of cells. So that includes signaling networks and metabolic networks, and then also models of how cells interact with one another in tissues. And primarily, we're interested in studying these cells inside of the tumor. That was definitely under 60 seconds. Jilan? My research area is in mathematical biology. And we use mathematical theory and tools to study biological systems and answer biological questions of interest to biologists. I'm particularly interested in applications of mathematics in epidemiology with a focus on disease dynamics of infectious diseases. Also definitely under 60 seconds. Congratulations to you both. <laughs> so I'd like to expand on what you just told us about your research, but can we start by asking you, Jilan, your academic title is Emeritus Professor. Could you explain what that means for people who are not part of the system? Emeritus is an honorary title for professors who want to continue doing research after retirement. So because I became full-time program director at the National Science Foundation, so I have to retire from Purdue, but I certainly would like to continue my research to understand the current trends in the area of math biology. Absolutely. It sounds like a nice way to continue on in both worlds. So getting back to your research specifically, can you tell us, I've been looking at your various website, and as you say, you've been using mathematics to study ecology and epidemiology. So to a lot of people, this might sound like you use statistics, but can you tell us exactly what your work involves? Sure. Not statistics, but my main tools, mathematical tools, are differential equations and dynamical systems. And basically, we use those tools to study mathematical models that can capture biological systems. So in my case, because my focus is on epidemiology and ecology, so I have collaborators in those areas. For example, one of my long-term collaborators, John Glasser, he's at the CDC. So we consider various public health questions, uh, policies and the intervention and the control of infectious diseases. So we develop models, mathematical models that can capture this underlying mechanism of disease transmission process. And particularly for the case when you know experiments are not possible or difficult, you cannot experiment with infectious diseases. So instead we conducted mathematical experiments. So you use models to explore various scenarios, various assumptions about 
you know, intervention policies or disease control strategies. And hopefully, mathematical results can help us to identify the optimal strategies in the sense that you can use the least amount of resources to achieve the best desired goals. For example, reduce the number of infections the most. Yeah. So it's going to be hard to talk about infectious diseases without mentioning COVID. Right. Is that something else you worked on? Actually, yes. Because uh, CDC, they have a lot of data. They have certain divisions or programs that collect the data, especially for the entire U.S. serological data, right, to detect the people's antibodies. Like they can have immunity to COVID either by natural infections or through vaccination. So with those data, we can actually parameterize our model so that the model can produce more reliable outcomes. So we actually, for example, so U.S. vaccination policy was uh, vaccinating elderly and people with underlying conditions first, right, because of the limited resources, limited vaccine doses. And then they gradually extend to other subgroups of the population. But we can use mathematical models to experiment different scenarios. For example, if we have certain age groups, for example, younger groups, they are more active, they have more contact, so they are more likely to transmit infections. And so if we focus on those groups, target those groups first, right, and we can indirectly reduce the number of infections, including the elderly or people with underlying conditions. So the questions like that, we can use models to study and to provide suggestions. And hopefully it can be helpful for guiding public health policies, especially better prepared for future pandemics. Obviously, this was vital work in the past few years, and we all appreciate your efforts. But coming to you, Stacey, so your work is quite different. It's definitely on a different scale compared to what Jalan just mentioned, in that we're interested in what's happening inside of cells that are present inside of our bodies. So we're really looking at it in two different ways. So first of all, what is happening inside of the cell? How are there different signaling reactions and metabolic reactions that the cells are making use of in order to perform different functions, right? So cells have to use these metabolism reactions and also respond to different signals in their microenvironment in order to proliferate or to move around in the body or to die. And so we're trying to understand those networks using mathematical modeling, also using differential equation models primarily to understand how the signaling species concentrations vary over time and how those influence the cell's behaviors. So that's one aspect. And then we're also really interested in how cells interact with one another, right? So there are many different types of cells in all the tissues that are in our body. We're primarily focusing on what's happening in the tumor. And so we know that there are diseased cancer cells in the tumor, but there are also other types of cells in the tumor. And they interact with one another, they compete for resources, and they affect one another's behaviors. And so we're interested in how that happens, again, using different kinds of models. Some of them are differential equation models, but we also use what are called agent-based models, where we treat every single cell as an individual agent that can perform different functions, that can move around and interact with one another. And this kind of modeling is really exciting, I think, because it gives rise to some complex behaviors that you might not be able to predict or encode using an equation. 
And it also helps us to perhaps match back to experimental data that we might have. So I'm interested to know if there are any similarities between your work. Like, are there the things that overlap, given that you work on kind of very different forms of biology? Well, I would say some of the mathematical modeling tools, right? So Jelan is using differential equation models, and we're using some of those kinds of models in my research as well. I think likely some of the ways that we're analyzing the models are similar. So looking at long-term behavior, looking at interactions between components of the model. So I think it's similar. We have, you know, maybe different applications for sure but some of the same tools, I would say. What do you think, Jelan? I agree, yes. That's the beauty of mathematics, right? You can have a generality. So you can set up your model, you conduct a mathematical analysis and understanding the behavior of whichever system you are studying. But a lot of time, you can develop mathematical tools that can be more generally applicable to different questions. You just need to adopt your modeling to be suitable for the particular applications. For example, you need to data to parameterize your model and then you know validate your model. But you can have a similar mathematical tools, but apply those outcome methodologies to different systems applications. Yeah. That's and I'll really say cool. one other thing that Jelan mentioned earlier is one of the advantages of mathematical modeling that she's using is to be able to simulate different scenarios using fewer resources, less time hopefully, And in our case, right, we don't have to have samples from patients to run these simulations, right? So it's another similarity, I would say, between our work is the goal is to have this predictive framework that we can use to answer questions that might be difficult to do using a purely experimental approach. Yeah, this is tremendous. I think that one of the things, if nothing else, people will get from this podcast that essentially you're you're helping to reduce the need for like patient data or patient samples or, you know, cells or extra experiments, which brings down the kind of the expense and several other important aspects of what makes science so laborious, right? So both of you seem very enthusiastic about your work. Can you tell me what you like most about doing your research? Let's start again with you, Stacey. What do I like most? Well, I think it's this point that we've hit on right at the end of our last question, which is, that we're basically building a lab inside of the computer, right? So I am building a mathematical model that we can use to interrogate the biological system and just try to understand the dynamics or understand the behaviors that this system might produce. And what's exciting to me is that we're getting closer to be able to develop these kinds of models that are more realistic, more physiological, and can potentially be clinically relevant. So that's something that I'm super excited about is having a working mathematical model of how tumors grow, how different cells inside of the tumor interact with one another, and then using that to answer questions. Of course, we have to come alongside with experimental researchers, and that's maybe a second thing that I'm super excited about is having those collaborations with experimental researchers and even clinicians to make sure that the model is in the right framework, that it makes sense, and that hopefully we can use it to answer clinically relevant questions. Very good. Chila? 
Yeah, in addition to what Stacy mentioned in the general sense, I also enjoy the discussions with the colleagues, collaborators, and the students on new ideas of you know if you have a challenging biological questions, and then we you know discuss with the biologists and come with a new way of developing models, and then that will make it you know, possible to answer those challenging questions. Once you get the new results, you're very you know happy and and excited and feel like you made some contributions to the field of mathematical biology. And in my case, you know, hopefully useful work for public health policy making. So you provided almost the perfect segue into my next question, which is how did you first hear about SMB and why did you become a member? And I'm thinking from the point of view of collaboration, right? Dylan? When I was a student, my PhD advisor mentioned to me that, you know, uh, Maybe there's a possibility to attend the SMB meeting to present the results. And so hopefully you can meet more people and maybe job opportunities. And I became a member because I really would like to be part of the mass biology community. And SMB has been providing many helpful resources and information related to this area and provide opportunities for you know people both in math and in biology to work together and new research teams. Stacey? Yes, so actually I am a chemical engineer by training. My undergraduate and graduate degrees are both in chemical engineering. So I might be a little bit of a, you know, an imposter in the mathematical biology field. But one reason that I got really excited about joining SMB was because I felt that it was a nice home for my research. I felt there was a great community of people who would understand the kind of work that I was doing and building mathematical models and analyzing the models. And we spoke the same language. Not to say that I don't also connect well with engineers, but uh, especially the kind of work that we're doing, it is different from the typical thing that a biomedical engineer might do or a chemical engineer might do. And so there wasn't that same kind of barrier when I heard about SMB and went to my first meeting in 2015. And so I just felt right at home. People were using the same kind of tools that I was excited about using in different applications. I could learn from them. I could think about other ways to analyze our models. And so it really became, you know, a strong community for me to engage with. Yeah, from everything I've heard from mathematical biologists, you all occupy a kind of quite strange space in the kind of research community, trying to bridge this divide between two thought of quite different fields, but at the same time, you know, collaborating with all of them. So one of the reasons we're speaking today is that the work of a scientist often extends well beyond the kind of the need to do research and to teach or whatever else might fall within their academic remit. Like a lot of us do volunteer work outside of that. And so you are both not just members of SMB, but you're co-chairs of the Committee for Diversity, Equity and Inclusion. Can you tell us more about this role and what it involves? And we can start with Stacey this time. Yeah, so I think that the Diversity, Equity and Inclusion Committee, the DEI Committee of SMB is quite important and it's timely for the society to be very intentionally thinking about diversity. So the DEI committee was first formed in the summer of 2020, and that was, you know, a tremendous year for our country and for 
people all around the world. In the case of the U.S., there were several, you know, high-profile killings of people of color, Black people. And so that sort of started the ball rolling about thinking about how, you know, an academic society and organization might be able to have an impact in this area. Seeing the diversity of the people who are interested in mathematical biology and who are attending the meetings and, you know, committing their time and effort to the organization, there was interest in developing or creating a DEI committee. And so I was asked to co-chair the committee and I said yes with enthusiasm because I thought that it was very timely and important for a society like mathematical biology with a high profile to make a statement about the importance of diversity, equity, and inclusion in the field more broadly and particularly in this particular organization. And so what it means is working with Jalan and working with a fantastic set of committee members who are really interested in sort of thinking about how SMB might better support all of their members, regardless of the race, the age, color, body size, gender, gender identity, gender expression, sexual orientation, marital status. There are all these different perspectives, and that's not an exhaustive list, but all of these different perspectives of diversity. And we want to ensure that SMB is supporting members that's independent of all of the many ways that they might identify. Yeah, for sure. I mean, this is certainly not easy work. And I don't know how many departments are really taking these things seriously. So I had a very depressing look at my former like PhD and postdoc departments and the lack of diversity is staggering. So Jilan, given that this is not easy work, what are some of the challenges that researchers face that this, this committee is trying to address? Yeah, Stacy said really well about this importance of this committee and Stacy led the major effort and the activities and the members of the committee, they were all very excited about the activities that this committee can do to help people from historically underrepresented groups. The committee talked about recruitment of new members to the SMB and particularly the young people from underrepresented groups. And I think NSF also has a lot of opportunities, activities to increase this, you know, funding opportunities for people from those underrepresented groups and to broaden the participation of people from all areas, you know, all groups. Yeah. So Stacy, I think one of the arguments I've heard from people is when you're using terms like diversity and inclusion, quite often that happens with the predominant like white male personality that you find within science, right? So how do you make sure that you do your work in a way that's not centering them at kind of working its way outwards and actually looking at the, the whole kind of population of mathematical biologists? Yes, so I think one critical piece of this is to talk a little bit about the composition of the committee, right? So Jalan and I are co-chairs of a phenomenal, engaged, excited committee who are, you know, members of SMB. And they also span different aspects of diversity, 
whether we're talking about first-generation college students, African-American members, women, men, people who are part of the LGBTQ+, people who have physical disabilities. And also, they're not all just U.S.-based, but as we know, SMB is an international society. So we have members of the committee who are also affiliated with institutions that are outside of the United States. So that helps a lot, right? Because it's not U.S.-focused. It's it's not just focused on Black mathematical biologists or not just men or women, right? It's going across these different perspectives of diversity. And that is really important to think about who are we trying to reach out to? Who are the underserved groups that have historically been underserved in mathematical biology? It's not just one group of people, right? It's a range of different people. And so starting with the committee itself, we can think about, well, what are the different ways that we want to reach out to certain members of our community and bring them back into the center, right? So they're not just at the periphery, but they're a core central piece that they feel valued, that they feel heard, that they also have a sense of belonging and not just that they're part of the organization, but actually feel a sense that they belong in the organization. So that's all, you know, part of how we move forward as a committee to not just think about one aspect of diversity, but the many facets of diversity. That's a great answer. So actually, one of the people I've interviewed in this past week is Sara Hamis, who is an award winner and is based in Finland. And she said that, you know, despite the fact that she is a young researcher and she's moved from country to country, the one thing that she's found comforting moving from one place to another is actually being part of SMB, because going into spaces as a young woman in a kind of, you know, space that's dominated by men, she felt like she was well supported by SMB. So I think it's kind of a ringing endorsement of the work you're doing already. But do you have tangible examples of where gains are being made, you think? I assume we have some idea of what MathBio looked like 20, 30, 40 years ago and what it looks like now. So that's an interesting question. Being mathematical biologists, I think actually it's a little bit surprising that we don't have a good pulse on what the demographics of the society are. So we're all super interested in moving forward in a data-driven way, right? So saying, letting us see what the data are in terms of what does the face of SMB look like? What are the demographics? What are the different ways in which the society is or is not diverse? And then moving from there to start to identify priority areas that we can work on in order to improve diversity, equity, and inclusion. So something that the committee first started with are really moving in two directions. So one is purposeful recruitment. So trying to increase um, and generate new initiatives that would expand SMB membership to welcome groups that have historically been underrepresented in mathematical biology. So that's one focus area, purposeful recruitment. The second is to take targeted action to support underserved groups. So in this case, what we started doing is just celebrate talking about diversity and celebrating it by amplifying current SMB members and their work so that it's not just about, oh, what do you look like or what groups do you associate with or identify with, but also how awesome is your research and how is it refined and 
expanded on because of the diverse perspective that you bring to it. So not only highlighting members, but also very importantly, highlighting their work. Those are the two main areas that we focused on in the first year of our work. And I will say, I think one tangible example where gains have been made is actually in the call for mini symposium proposals for the annual meeting. Now, along with the description of what this proposal will be, um, a description of what the scientific session will be, who the speakers will be, what their topics or titles are. In addition to that, there's a box that you have to fill in that says, well, how does this further the goals of diversity, equity, inclusion for mathematical biology? Prior to 2021, that box was not there. And it's here now, it's been there now. This is the second call for uh, mini symposium proposals where people who are putting together a session have to think about what does it mean for diversity, equity, inclusion for the society. So that means how diverse is the set of speakers? How diverse is the topics? And again, it's not just about race or ethnicity or gender expression. It's about all these different ways that we can consider diversity. I personally think that is a strong statement that SMB is making that diversity, equity, and inclusion is important and it needs to be part of the science that we present at a meeting. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we, we can't extricate ourselves as humans from the work that we do, right? So Jilan, do you have anything to add? Yeah, I agree with Stacy. I'd also just add that Stacy led the group to make sure that the, for, for example, plenary speakers at the annual meeting will be represented, you know, suggested by the group. And also the group has the funding for students to attend the SMB annual meeting. So especially the students from underrepresented groups. Uh, I think those are all good efforts to encourage people uh, from those groups to enter the field and to have a chance to present their research, or also to meet with the you know, expert in the field and then you know, get the connections, good connections with the people in the field. Yeah, I mean, for sure, adding money to a situation is definitely one way of leveling the playing field, right? Wrapping up on that theme and focusing on you two as researchers who have amazing track records within your fields of research and who have your own Wikipedia pages, which is, you know, it's not that popular for scientists. What advice would you have for those thinking of entering mathematical biology as a field? Let's start with Jilan. Yeah. I'd Look for opportunities, like especially provided by SMB and there's a DEI uh, committee of the SMB that they have uh, probably more ideas coming. You know, they're talking about a lot of ideas and providing opportunities for those people from those backgrounds. And also, this is public available information. I think NSF also is emphasizing this broadened participation and then trying to create the more funding opportunities to support people from those underrepresented groups. Yeah, I think some advice that I would give, maybe I'll also turn it around a little bit, is what advice would I give myself going into the kind of research field that I'm in, in terms of mathematical modeling? And so I would say to researchers that are entering math bio fields is to think about ways that you can stand out, right? And so 
what do you uniquely bring to a question? And that can be, you know, your background. It can be the way that you're thinking, maybe from engineering training foundation like me. But what do you uniquely bring that allows you to answer a question in a different way or think about a question in a different way than someone else in mathematical biology? Lean into those unique aspects and unique characteristics and look at it as a chance to stand out and to shine brightly in a way that, you know, others can't or others do in different settings. So just thinking about ways to, to lean into the way that you're unique and how that allows you to think about a biological question from a different perspective. Wonderful. Thank you both. That's excellent advice, I would say. So what is the next exciting thing or project for you that you've got coming up that you're really looking forward to? For me now, since I'm at NSF, so I retired from Purdue and now as a program director of the mathematical biology at the National Science Foundation. So I am excited to looking for more funding opportunities for this math biology research community, for the you know principal investigators looking for the challenging problems in the math biology and hopefully their ideas, great ideas can be supported. Wonderful. Stacey? Yeah, we have a model right now and I sort of mentioned it at the beginning, an agent-based model that we've been developing for a while to look at how cells in the tumor microenvironment interact with one another. And in particular, we're excited about how tumor cells interact with immune cells. And we've just started a collaboration about a year ago with a clinical researcher here at the University of Southern California that provides some experimental data that is just so well suited for the mathematical model that we're building. And it's nice because we sort of design the experiments together. And so that conversation was happening at the time that they were first starting to do some experiments in this area. And so I'm super excited about having this new data set and being able to use it to calibrate our mathematical model. And I think it just gets us one step closer to developing a more clinically relevant model and ultimately having some impact on how patient-centered questions are answered. That's very exciting. So for me, as a, the kind of researcher I am, I really like the real-world applications of how our science pans out. Now, before you go, I want to say I really appreciate your time today, but I have some very quick questions so we can meet the person behind the scientists. So one for you, Jilan. Would you say you're better at singing or dancing? <laughs> if I must pick one, uh, I would say singing, even though I'm not good at either. <laughs> <laughs> if you have to choose, you choose. Stacy, if you could have a theme tune, what would it be? Yes, yeah, so I think my theme song would be something by an artist, an artist named Janelle Monet. She's actually from Kansas City, and that's oh. where I grew up as well. And she has a fantastic discography, but one of her songs is called Electric Lady. So it has this kind of like funky feel. The words are also really exciting, like, ugh. I, that would be my theme song. Like it should be playing over my shoulder as I'm walking to class. <laughs> Every time you walk into a room. <laughs> and finally, I have one for both of you. So again, we'll start with Jilan. 
what's your favorite family tradition? To be all of us, the family members, going to my daughter's home for Christmas celebration. And the more recently, since pandemic started, we all get on Zoom and play the online family game using the Jackbox.tv. Okay. Have fun. Thanks. And you, Stacy? Yeah. So actually, one of our favorite family traditions has to do with singing and dancing. One way that we celebrate some great thing that happened in, you know, one of my my daughter's classroom or preschool, or you know, getting a grant or paper accepted, is that we turn on our theme song and we dance as a family. So we have a little dance party, and so that's one of my favorite traditions because when you turn on the music, everyone knows, okay, something great has happened today. So should I have asked you the question about the singing and the dancing? <laughs> I almost wish you did because I can't decide. I am not also, I'm not a good singer, but I like to think that I am. So I would probably say singing, but I can also dance, I think. So <laughs> it's okay. And if all else fails, you've got science as the backup career. Exactly. <laughs> well, thank you again, both so very much for your time today. Very much appreciate it. Thank you. You've been listening to Biology in Numbers, a podcast from the Society for Mathematical Biology and produced by me, Panve Bahia, at Art Science Media. You can learn more about SMB on their website, smb.org, and via social media on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Find links to all of these and some for today's guest in the episode show notes. You can find us on Apple, Spotify, and very likely your favorite podcast platform. So show us some love by making sure you review and subscribe. So how are you both doing today? I'm feeling very good. Oh, we can't talk at the same time. Okay. <laughs> no, that's fine. Jilan first. I'm very. <laughs> um, I'm doing well. Thank you. Yeah, I'm doing good. Thanks. <laughs>